Welcome to Round Hill Radio. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, what are we talking about today? We are talking about backstories. Backstories. Is that like an origin story? Could be. That makes me think of like um, like Marvel movies when they run out of movies to make. <laughs> and then they go, you know, we need to tell an origin story. Boy, isn't that the truth. And they hundreds do. of millions of people will go and still watch the film. And they seem to find many origin stories, not just one. I mean, I, I appreciate them going back to that cash cow over and over again. <laughs> I digress. But whose backstory are we looking at today? Well, we could say that this is the backstory of Jesus. We could say it's the backstory of John the Baptist. Okay. We could even say it's the backstory of one of the gospel writers whose name was Luke. Luke. How's that? I like it. So here's what got started, got me started on thinking about this. Okay. Um, I don't know how long ago it was, but I came across this absolutely fascinating book uh, by a man named, I think his name was Thomas Brody. And he was asking the question about the gospels, you know, Mm -hmm. where do they get their information? Because the four portraits we have of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's overlap, but there's also some very distinctive qualities, Mm -hmm. right, related to each. Luke in particular was a fascination to him. And he was wondering, so how did Luke develop the the, the style, the structure, all mm-hmm. of that for his, for his gospel, his portrait of Jesus. And he thought and developed an argument for this that Luke's inspiration for writing the story of Jesus mm-hmm. was the story of the prophet Elijah. Okay. And Elijah was a formidable presence in the life of the people of Israel, <clears throat> probably... 800 plus years before Jesus. So that's a long time. That's a really long time. And of course, it is an oral tradition culture. So those stories would have stayed fresh longer than they might stay fresh in our culture. Of course. But um, Brody had this idea that when writing the story of Jesus, and this is not uncommon, we might do this today, right? If we're writing the story of some famous person, we might say, you know, Mm -hmm. that sounds an awful lot like this other person who lived a while back, Right. right? and try to draw some comparisons between the two. And it was Brody's conviction that that was the case. So I'm so fascinated by this because it's pretty clear that John the Baptist probably modeled his style, his clothing choices, um, and maybe even his dietary preferences uh, (laughs) after Elijah. Okay. And then Jesus, of course, comes along and chooses to be baptized by someone like John the Baptist, which means that he, in, in essence, is is affirming that model mm-hmm. and the way that John presents himself to the world. So I just think it's really interesting that, it, that there's this possibility that the one who inspired Jesus was, in fact, this prophet who lived eight or 900 years before him. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It makes me think of in the organist world, we talk about sort of lineage in terms uh-huh. of education. So you can kind of hear in certain people oh. that have studied with organists and then have studied, you know, you go back and back and back and inevitably you find a Great very analogy. famous performer and everyone has their own style, yep. but there's always maybe some some quality mm-hmm. that you can recognize in that person's playing and be like, oh, I think they were of the sort of Dupre lineage, <laughs> if you will, or this to this to that. Um, So for any of our listeners, including myself, (laughs) who might not be super familiar with Elijah, could we have like a quick uh, 
a starter. Little thumbnail sketch. I would love it. All right, little bio sketch of I Elijah. Love a bio sketch of Elijah. Happy to. Thanks. So Elijah is one of the most fascinating characters in the entire Bible, and his uh, his story is that he lived during a time when the king of Israel. Uh, so the king at that time, his name was Ahab. Mm-hmm. And Ahab is recognized and remembered as one of the worst kings in the history of Israel, which is a shame. Uh, But he was married to a woman, his queen, whose name was Jezebel. Jezebel came from Phoenicia. Uh, Not a lot of positive stories around Jezebel. No. Right? So her name has kind of lingered in history, unfortunately, right, as a not positive presence. It's not a good thing to be called. No, not a good thing. And um, however, he did build a significant amount of economic prosperity during that time because Ahab was consolidating forces from two different kingdoms. Um, However, he was also someone who allowed Jezebel really kind of free play in terms of determining the religious life of the people. And she was not a fan of Israel. Israel's prophets or okay. their religious tradition. She wanted to import prophets and her own God from Phoenicia. Okay. Uh, so little okay. little struggle there. Yes. And the God's name was Baal, who Baal. was the storm god, a fertility god in okay. some ways. And so uh, he, she, this is the God around whom all of her rituals would have been developed. Uh, she had no time for Israel's God, uh, known often as Adonai or Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And so in that process, uh, she destroyed, sought to destroy Israel's prophets and religious leaders. I see. So there was a, a real attempt to eradicate them. And Elijah felt called to stand against that. Mm-hmm. And so in his own remarkable way, he confronted Ahab about this face to face. And then um, realizing that maybe that could have been a mistake, uh, disappeared from the story for a little bit, back, backed away, yeah. went off and lived a very solitary life for a short time, then actually moved to Phoenicia of all places really? for a short time. He did. Um, and sort of had to, you know, recalibrate himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, challenged the prophets of Baal at one occasion to an open contest um, in a violent way, slaughtered them. I mean, it's just a very, the story has a lot of violence in it. Yeah. Uh, but he saw himself as a defender of Israel's religion and a defender of, of in his view, the one true God. So, so what did Ahab... How, what was Ahab's role in this? Because I'm seeing this this strong presence of Jezebel. Yes. Um, not willing to give up her God. That's right. And then maybe mismanaging that energy. And then, so what did A, <laughs> what was Ahab's like a po- position on all of this? I love the phrase mismanaging the energy. <laughs> yeah, the I'm that. Thanks. <laughs> a very diplomatic way of saying it. Uh, you know, Ahab is not a strong figure in this story yeah. at all. Okay. And uh, the most fascinating element of the story in some ways, though, is the relationship between Elijah and Ahab, because they meet at different points in the story. Uh And whenever Elijah shows up, Ahab says, so is it you again? (laughs) Oh, not you again. You you troubler of Israel. Got it. Right? Troublemaker. You're the trouble here. Oh, it's You're the problem. You know, the one who raises the the voice of justice is often, right, the Mm -hmm. troublemaker. The troublemaker. Unwanted troublemaker. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Ahab is uh, comes across in the story as not someone who is uh, a strong presence, not okay. a loving presence, not a just presence. Okay. So you have this prophetic figure, Elijah, who mm-hmm. rises up. And 
while we look back at those parts of the story that relate to his violence, you know, those are very difficult parts of the story to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, there are also many other parts of the story where Elijah was courageous and brave in ways that didn't involve violence okay. in terms of his willingness to face off with Ahab and Jezebel. And he's a very, one of the most, I think, attractive parts of his character is very human, very okay. vulnerable. He He's depressed for a period of time. He gives up his ministry for a while. He seeks to run away from it. God intervenes and inter- intercepts him, brings him back. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's a story that people can read from a lot of different levels. Um, what book of the Bible is his story? So his story is told in two books. Uh, he's mentioned in, in several, but primarily in the first and second book of Kings, okay. which uh, some people think is kind of a, just a sort of inside joke because it's hardly ever about kings. It's mostly about the prophets. Oh, really? Oh, and so there's, there's that background. And Elijah, interestingly enough, um, during the civil rights movement, was uh, a character who became inspirational, sadly enough, for a man named Sam Bowers, who was a leader of the Ku Klux Klan in Mississippi in the 1960s. Mm. And he was inspired by that violent side of Elijah Mm -hmm. and took that very much to heart, sadly enough. However, Elijah was also inspirational for many of the civil rights activists Mm -hmm. who saw in his willingness to speak truth to power Mm -hmm. um, a model for their own prophetic actions. That's so interesting. I mean, I think that's part of the poetic nature, maybe, of the Bible, that, that different interpretations can be had. Yes, yes. That's so interesting. And so, you know, if you fast forward all the way to the life of John, lives of John the Baptist and Jesus, yeah. clearly through dress style, through their own willingness to speak truth to power, yeah. which is what actually got both of them killed. Mm-hmm. Um, they were emblematic of the kinds of themes that you see in Elijah. And they, neither of them uh, picked up that violent side, but they chose other parts of his character. And that's why I think, you know, learning, reading the Bible, which is really not a book, but a library of books, 66 different books, it's really learning to understand how even the characters within that library choose to affirm some things about the past and not others. Oh, that's interesting. Right? Right, because the library obviously was not all written at this. The books of the library were not all written at the same time. Correct, And yep. so those writing the newer books would have been, assume, very familiar with some, if not all, mm-hmm. of the ones before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, John the Baptist probably was extremely familiar with Elijah. Yes. probably had a lot of thought into who this person was. And made some choices about what parts of the story he would affirm and what parts he wouldn't. So that's so interesting because I feel like sometimes in, in modern day culture that picking and choosing can be positive, it can be negative, mm-hmm. but it's not a new idea, it is which is interesting. Right, and it's, it's really saying that the text itself already shows us how to treat the text. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's saying don't necessarily treat all parts of it equally. Equally. Right, because right. The, the Spirit is going to move through some parts of it, and some parts of the text, which might seem to be utterly uninteresting, mm-hmm. might become the vessel for something more intriguing depending on a historical circumstance or what we're going through in our personal lives and all of that. Were there, we, you were speaking about the nonviolent choices of John the Baptist and Jesus. 
besides Elijah, do you think there were, was there another one person that they would have read about in the, in the books that would have inspired them in that way? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I would say that scholars and those, all of us who are reading these texts probably are still sorting that out. Okay. But I would say that one, one person's writings really stand out to me as being inspirational for Jesus in particular, and that's the prophet Isaiah. Okay. And now we know that the long book in the, in the Hebrew Bible recognized or known as Isaiah it was written by at least three different people. Wow. And there are parts of that text that are more interesting to Jesus than others, mm-hmm. especially, I think, the latter third of it. But when Jesus has an opportunity, and this is also in Luke, by the way, mm-hmm. to stand up in front of his hometown synagogue and preach in front of the folks mm-hmm. who know him, it's, it's Isaiah that he chooses. Mm. And he, it says that he found the place in the text. So here again, he's got a long text scroll in front of him. Yeah. He could make a lot of choices, yeah. but he, cho- he chooses to go to one particular passage which says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Mm. And it goes on from there. And it's interesting that he quotes it, uh, he uses that text, but he does change a part of it. Really? Because the Isaiah text says that it refers to the vengeance of God. And Jesus does not include that reference. Interesting. We talk about a thesis statement. Right. So there's, there's always choice being made. And you see that all the way through the Bible. And I think sometimes the fascinating question is to ask, you know, okay, those people made those choices and they have to be right and applicable for us. Mm. Instead, why did they make the choices that they made? Right. Can we figure that out? Mm-hmm. And what are the choices we make? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there used to be uh, an exercise that seminary students used to go through. And I don't know if this is still done, but when I was starting at, at Union Theological Seminary, every student had to write out a statement of belief. Mm. And that was supposed to be sealed and returned to you at your graduation. Oh, no. <laughs> I think our statements are somewhere in the bowels of Union Theological Seminary lingering around. I mean, some. Someday, someone's going to find a box that says, Statements of Faith, Class of 1985. Oh and they're going to open that up and find I all of see our... I those so bad. I do too. That would be amazing. Wouldn't that? Almost like it would be... I'm thinking about the transformation one goes through during a seminary experience, but then the transformation one goes through in a, prof- in a ministry experience. Right? Wow. Life experience. I want to see that's what we had. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's going to go on auction. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that some of these biblical characters, in a sense, you know, we get to see them writing their statements of faith. Yeah. And making those choices. And I I wish we could approach the text that way, because that's more as a detective would approach it. Like, Mm -hmm. why are they saying that? What what did that mean at that time? Of all the texts they could have chosen, why did they choose that particular one? Well, I think there's something about perhaps acknowledging that these people were living in the world. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. um, not infallible, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Um, and that, so they can make mistakes. Yeah, right. And uh, the, the thing that becomes interesting to me is that uh, this is just a thought I would connect with Jesus and John the Baptist as well. But at a, at a particular moment in Jesus' life, 
when he was beginning to face the fact that things were closing in around him, mm-hmm. he took a few of his friends, he went up to a particular high area, and he had an experience now known as the Transfiguration. And there was a vision there where he saw two ancestors in the faith, right? Mm-hmm. Who shows up? It's Moses and Elijah. Okay. And again, you think about all the people who could have been there. So I think, again, that steady, constant presence, but he's looking back at very specific things about Elijah that inspire him, and he's mm-hmm. not afraid to make choices about that. And I hope we won't be afraid to make our own thoughtful, considered decisions about those texts as well as we look for inspiration for the work we're called to do. I think that's wonderful. Thank you for teaching me about Elijah today. Well, thank you for having the conversation. Lots of fun stuff. And thank you all for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillradio.org. 